On December the 12th, 1913, former President Theodore Roosevelt, along with a crew of men, decided to travel down to Brazil to explore an uncharted river that had never been explored before. Roosevelt had just lost his third attempt at the presidency and he was looking for a challenge. And so he, he made plans to go to Brazil, but the plan initially was just to go down the Amazon River. But when he was told about this mysterious river that had never been explored, they called it literally the river of doubt because nobody really knew where it terminated. He was determined to be the explorer. And so they went down this river. Now, uh, this was a very dangerous expedition. Uh, it was dangerous for a lot of reasons. There was danger uh, in the water. There were lots of rapids that they had to navigate through. And oftentimes they would capsize and some would drown. Uh, there were dangers around them with disease. Uh, there were dangers in just the incessant weather, the suffocating humidity and incessant rains that were on them all the time. Uh, of course, there were danger in the water with piranha and anaconda. There were dangers on the land with venomous snakes. Uh, there was always this danger of starvation because they couldn't really hunt uh, for their food provisions. But probably the greatest danger was the danger of the indigenous tribes that lived in these jungles that were known to be very brutal and cannibalistic. And they knew that the tribes were always around them, though they could not see them they would often hear them and would see evidences of them around. Uh, these sounds were particularly disturbing. This is described in this way. So the Amazon's sudden inexplicable sounds were especially terrifying at night when they were all in the pitch black forest with no way to see a potential uh, attacker and no sure means of escape. While the jungle in daylight could sometimes appear completely devoid of inhabitants, the nightly cacophony left no doubt that the men of the expedition were not alone. Now listen, you don't have to be in a jungle to know that just because something is unseen doesn't make it unreal. There are lots of things that we don't see that we know are very, very real. You know, a little over 100 years ago, no one could see germs or bacteria, and yet we know now that's very, very real and what transfers diseases. You don't see Wi-Fi right now or radio waves or anything like that, but it's all around us right now. But you can't see it, and you can't see love. You can't see friendship. You can't see hope, but yet it shapes and changes our lives. Just because something is unseen doesn't make it unreal, and that is also true in the spiritual realm. There are many things that you and I do not see with our eyes, but they are very, very real. And that's what we're gonna talk about in this series called Unseen. We're looking at the, the spiritual realm, and what are the things that we don't see that are real and all around us? And so, uh, we're going to turn to the Bible because the Bible is a source of truth. Amen? And the Bible is where we learn what God wants us to know. And so that's why at this church, we always open up our Bible. We dig into it to see what God has for us. So why don't you get your Bible open 
And we're going to study some things about this unseen world. Maybe some things that you haven't heard of before, but are very, very important. We'll turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Now, the book of Ephesians is really a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church that was in Ephesus. And it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, Ephesians is a great book. First three chapters is all about your identity in Christ and who you are in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? Uh, the last three chapters are all about how we live out our Christian faith. It's really practical in the last three chapters, but particularly chapter 6 talks about spiritual warfare and the unseen world. And I think it's because the city of Ephesus was particularly harassed by demonic activity. When the Apostle Paul went to preach the gospel in Ephesus, many people came to Christ. It was filled with idols. It was filled with all kinds of occultic practices. But many of the Christians that he's writing to here had become followers of Jesus and actually had to burn their books of witchcraft and so on and to turn away from the occult to follow Jesus. So there was this sense of a lot of that kind of activity going on in the city of Ephesus. And so Paul includes in his letter to them some important teaching on the unseen world. And of course, he's going to tell us as we read it what this means to live in light of this unseen world. So let's just kind of dive into it now. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning of verse 10. Just a couple of verses today in verse 10. This is the word of God. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Now, just stop right there. That's all we're going to get to uh, today. Uh, probably the main thing that I want you to take away from, uh, from this passage today is this. There is a world behind the world that you see. There's a world behind the world that you see. And, and there's a spiritual world. Now, what I'm not saying is, okay, we have our physical world here on this planet, and then we have somewhere out there in the cosmos, there's some kind of spiritual world, and they don't really interact that much. That's not really true. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there is a material world, and there is a spiritual world, and the two interact. And the spiritual impacts and influences the material. Now, that may sound a little creepy, right? What's going on here? But this is exactly what the Bible tells us is true. Now, the minute I say that, I got to lay some ground rules here, right? Because we're going to be in this for the next uh, five weeks counting today. So I want to lay some ground rules on when we talk about the unseen world, because there are two extremes that people tend to swing to when we talk about the unseen world. In fact, uh, C.S. Lewis, a great writer, philosopher, uh, wrote about these two extremes. This is what he said. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight, end quote. Really, he said that there are two extremes. There's the extreme to indulge 
in the unseen world and to fixate on it. These are the people that kind of see a devil behind every corner, you know, or a demon in every problem. And so there's this over-infatuation, fixation, um, and thought toward the demonic and the unseen world. Uh, on the other hand, though, there is the not to, to, be, to be indulged in it, but to ignore it altogether. And there are a lot of Christians that say they believe the Bible, that read the Bible, and yet act as if the unseen world doesn't even exist. But you know, there's a, our culture understands that there is an unseen world. In fact, our culture is very fascinated with this idea of the spiritual and the material. I mean, just look at what shapes our culture. Look at movies, look at uh, books, look at TV shows, look at uh, things like that, and you will see, look at music, and you will see the evidence of this infatuation with the unseen world. I think, for example, like uh, Stranger Things, you know, that, that show on Netflix, it is actually set Nielsen-rated records. 2.6 million people are watching that show. And the whole show is really about this seen world and the unseen world and how they interact. Just this fall, there's a show that's on prime time on major network called Evil. And the whole thing is about the evil world and the demonic world and how it interacts with the material world. Uh, why are they making movies like this? Why is it that every time you go to the movie theater, there's some occultic world, some, you know, some uh, demon possession kind of a movie out there? Why is that? Because our culture knows that there's something unseen. They just know it and they don't know what it is. Praise God, we have God's word, right, that teaches us about this. But they believe it, and I believe many times there are people in the culture that believe it more than Christians do. And so we need to get back to the Bible, avoiding the extremes. We're not going to indulge. We're not going to ignore. We're just going to stand on God's word. Amen? And we're going to go to what God says, and we're going to understand it, and we're going to learn what God wants us to know about this unseen world. So in this series, we're going to talk about angels and demons. I'm going to talk about that next Sunday, angels and demons. We're going to talk about who is Satan the Sunday after that. Uh, we're going to spend two Sundays on spiritual warfare, and we're going to get very practical on what you can do when you encounter spiritual struggle, what to do, and how to take your stand um, in a victorious way. So we're going to spend some time unpacking these things. But today what I'm really doing is giving you kind of a 30,000 foot view, just kind of an overview of this unseen world and what is that like, right? So I want to give you three ideas, three principles that we get right out of this passage about this unseen world, all right? So paper out, pen out, on the edge of your seat, ready to go, all right? Let's do what we do and dig into God's word, okay? Here's the first thing I want you to get down. In this unseen world, there is an undeniable source behind your struggle. There's an undeniable source behind your struggle. Look at verse 12, all right? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. You know, uh, probably a lot of you have been to Disney World. How many of you, hands up, have been to Disney World, right? Hands up, all right. So a lot of people have been to Disney World. We've taken our girls a couple times to Disney World. Did you know that there is a seen Disney World and there is an unseen Disney World? Did you know that? There, there is the uh, like Magic Kingdom 
and then there is a city underneath, built underneath the Magic Kingdom. You may not know that. You can actually take a tour of it or read articles about it. Uh, in fact, as you come on in the Magic Kingdom, you, you don't recognize it, but you're, there's a gentle slope up. And the reason why is because you're actually not on the ground. You're actually, what is on the ground is what is underneath the streets, underneath the castle. All that area, there's an underworld there, and that underworld is filled with tunnels, and it has cafeterias, and it has classrooms, and it has locker space. This is how all the characters travel between their venues, and uh, you have mechanics, and food service, and all kinds of stuff that's going on, all that underneath. Now, it's the unseen underworld that actually makes the visible world happen, right? That's how on the top it looks whimsical, it looks magical, it looks beautiful, family oriented, but it's everything underneath is very pedestrian, all right? It's just making it all happen. Now, in the same way, that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that there is this unseen world that we do not see with our own eyes, but yet it impacts the material world, the world that we do see, the world that we do live in. There's an unseen world that impacts us, and we struggle against this unseen world, especially the demonic, the evil influence. We struggle against it. Every struggle that you're facing has some influence from this unseen world. In fact, the word struggle there, just look at it in verse 12. Our struggle, some versions will say we wrestle, right? Uh, the word wrestle, struggle, uh, is a translation of the same Greek word. It's a, it's a military term, which means hand-to-hand -hand combat. If you were going to go to a class and take Taekwondo or karate or something, they're teaching you hand-to-hand -hand combat. And he said, we have literally hand-to-hand -hand combat. We struggle against what? Well, look at what he says. We struggle against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, evil, spiritual forces. You say, well, what is that? Well, we don't know. I mean, that's the honest answer. We really don't know. The, these words seem to imply some kind of hierarchy, some kind of structure, some kind of um, uh, maybe org chart, if you will, of the demonic world, some regimented structure to it like an army might have. Uh, that's implied here, but we really don't know that much about it. Now, I've heard people on TV and others that go into great detail about, oh, yes, well, there are these multiple layers and how many there are, and there, there, there are demons over countries, and there are demons over cities, and there are demons over, you know, neighborhoods, and, and, and how they all interact together, and so on and so on. Let me just tell you, all that is speculation. So you just need to know, when you hear that, you need to, okay, that might be true, and it might not be true, because we don't know. The Bible does not tell us that. You know, C.S. Lewis went on to write a book called The Screwtape Letters, which is a wonderful book. It's a fictitious book in the sense that, it, that it's not actual, uh, the events there do not actually happen, but it's this idea of a, an upper-ranking demon giving instruction to a lower-ranking demon about how to harass a Christian. Uh, it's an interesting book, but, but again, we don't really know all the details of that, and God didn't give it to us, or we would need to know, right? So you don't need to know all those details. What you do need to know, though, is that there's an unseen world behind the world that you see, and that behind the struggle that you face, there are evil influences. Think about all the struggle that we deal with in our world. Think about all the evil that's in our world. When you think about terrorist attacks and bombers and shooters, 
that kill innocent lives. When you think about uh, the abortion epidemic in our country, when you think about, you know, uh, whole groups that are saying, oh, this is right when God says it's wrong, and this is wrong when God says it's right. Think about all the, uh, just all the strife, racial strife and tension that we face in our country. Where does all this stuff come from? There are evil forces at play. That's what Paul is saying. And our struggle is not just against an individual, it's against, it's against these spiritual influences. Your struggle in your marriage. When you go to bed at night and you hear this voice saying, you know what, it's not worth it. You'd be a lot, you deserve to be happy. You should be happy. You should split, you know, the kids will be fine and you just do what you want. That, what is that? That is this evil influence trying to assault and attack your family. When you have thoughts that are self-destructive or, or tempting thoughts, well, man, I should go there. Nobody will see it. Nobody will understand. It's not that big a deal. I can do it and it'll be okay. Those are tempting thoughts that lure you. Where's all that coming from? That's coming from somewhere. And that behind the struggle, there is an evil source behind it. And so many times when we see a, a crisis happen, something terrible happen, we want to point the finger, right? We want to say, well, it's their fault. It's the parents' fault that their kids did that. Or it's that guy's fault that he did this. Or it's their fault that they sold that gun to them. Or it's their fault. You know, there's always, we're always trying to point the finger at somebody whose fault it is for this horrible thing happening. And what Paul is doing is he points past the person to the original source. He said, you want to point the finger? There's, an, there's a source behind your struggle. There, is, there are rulers and, and authorities and evil influences in this world. And the more we wake up to that, the more we really begin to understand and can stand our ground in spiritual battle. So Paul said there is a source behind it all. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. There's an unquestionable stand to make. So what do I do with this, the, the source of struggle that I'm, that I'm coming against? I'm struggling with this. How do, what do I do? Well, I stand. In fact, this word stand appears multiple times. Look at verse 11. Put on the armor of God so that you can stand. See that? You can stand against the schemes of the devil. Circle that word stand. That's in verse 11. In verse 13, just run your finger down and you'll see the words take your stand. The, the very, very beginning of verse 14, stand then. See that? This, this command to stand is over and over and over. So what are we supposed to do with this struggle of these evil influences around us? We are called to stand. Now the word stand uh, simply means to stand your ground, right? It's like to dig your cleats in, all right? To, to, to brace yourself and stand your ground. It means to stand your ground, to resist, to push back. James says that we're, you're to resist the devil and he will flee from you. We're going to talk more about that in some weeks to come. But, but here he's saying the command, what you should do as, as parents, as, as godly people, as, as uh, people that love Jesus, you're to stand your ground against this evil onslaught, these spiritual forces of evil around us. And he said, stand against the schemes of the devil. See that? Schemes of the devil. That word scheme is really important. The word scheme is the Greek word methodias. Methodias. Does that sound like a uh, English word to you? Methodias. Not Methodist, okay? It's not it. Uh, methodias. 
means methods, right? Methods. So he said, basically, what I'm standing against are these methods, these schemes, these um, plans, these strategies that the devil has against you. Against our church. Against believers. There's a strategy. There's something coordinated about all of it. There, there's evil strategies even now to indoctrinate our culture towards certain things that are, have known to be wrong that now are saying are right and so on. There's strategies around all that. And he said before there were strategies around a boardroom, there were strategies in, in the demonic world. In fact, I have a, um, I have a friend that her brother has, has become the pitching coach for the Indianapolis um, Twins. And he, is that right? Am I saying that right? Minnesota Twins. Thank you. Minnesota Twins. And, uh, and so we were talking about baseball, and she said that, man, when you get to that level, at the pro level, this thing is down almost to a scientific uh, regimen where they will look at every batter they're going to face, and they know every stat about every batter. They know their tendencies. They know their, their hitting uh, ratios. They know where they're strong, where, they, where they're weak. They know if they can hit a slider or not. They know they can hit a fastball or not. They know every, about every single individualized player. And so when that player comes up to bat and the calls are, be, are coming in, these calls are made specifically to that batter. They're not just random pitches. They are strategic to either set that batter up, and, but ultimately to strike that batter out, to put the pitch right where he's vulnerable, to strike him out. Now listen, that's exactly what Paul is saying here, that Satan has strategies. He knows where you're weak. He knows where you're vulnerable. He, and, and the goal is to strike you out, to get you out of the game, to demoralize you, to, to defame you, to, to destroy you to get you to walk away from God and destroy your family and, and, and to lose your faith. He would love that if that would happen to you. He would love that. And if he can't get that to happen, then at least he can distract you so you spend your whole life living for your job and not for the kingdom of God. And then when you finally get to the end of your life, you realize you wasted the very one thing that God sent you here to do. See, he's got strategies, some more overt than others. Let me ask you, where, where's your weakness? Some of you, your weakness is sexual temptation. Some of you, your weakness is your pride. Some of you, your weakness is your fear. Some of your weakness is your anger. But where you are weak, he will put the pitch right there in order to get you out of the game. I just came back from Montreal last Sunday. I wasn't here because I was preaching in Montreal in our church plant that we are supporting there. And we had great, great time at two services. We had about 26 people pray to receive Christ in those services, praise God for that. But after the service was over, I went with the pastors to, uh, out to dinner and I said, hey guys, I'm preaching on spiritual warfare and I'm sure you have faced a lot of that planting in a very, very dark, unchurched part of the world. Uh, tell me, have you, how have you experienced that? And I mean, we went on for about 45 minutes telling me story after story after story that would raise the hair on the back of your neck of demonic, overt influences 
against their families to stop them from planting that church. Why? Because Satan knows if a church gets planted and if believers gather together, then the gospel will go out and he will lose ground. Listen, Satan's job is to get you distracted or, or whatever he can to keep you from being on point to the mission. Why you're here, why you're called. In fact, he may be doing it really good right now. He may be working really well in you because you're not on mission. You're not living for the kingdom and you haven't been involved. And it's because he has distracted you with his schemes. Listen, there, there's a world behind the world we see. It's real. And, uh, and, and, and there's a source of evil that is beyond what we always point to as the problem. And we're called to make our stand against those schemes of the devil. You say, well, how do I stand against it? Well, look at what he says. That, that, this is the third point. There's an unrivaled strength. There's a strength that you can rely on. Look at verse 10. Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. By the way, I'm really glad he doesn't say, hey, you just need to be strong, right? That's one translation says, be strong in the Lord and, and in his mighty power. And that seems to imp imply that I've got to be strong, right? So I, I, got to, I got to strengthen myself. I got to muster up my own strength and do the best I can. Paul is not saying, hey, here's this cosmic force around you that you can't see. And you just got to hold your ground and resist. And by the way, good luck, you know, a little whack on the rear end, man. I hope, you, I hope you do a good job. Do the best you can. You know, we'll see you. No, that's not what he's saying here. Listen, you are not strong enough to resist the devil's schemes. Do you know that? Do you know that? You're not strong enough. You don't have enough willpower. I don't either. You don't have enough strength. How many pastors have you seen over the last couple of years? Fall, 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 fall. Uh, pastors alike, we're vulnerable, we're human, and you are vulnerable, and you are human, and we all have these weaknesses in us. And no matter how we're like, Peter would say, well, I'll never do that. What it took, Peter, what, a couple hours after he said that? Before, boom, there he goes. We all have the capacity to fall through the devil's schemes. Why? Because we're fallen people. We have a fallen nature within us and we're vulnerable and we're weak. And so he said, you can't do it on your own. So how do I do it? Well, he said, uh, be strengthened by the Lord. And lo I love this. And his vast strength, right? He's got this vast strength that God has for you, that God wants to strengthen you for the moment of temptation, for the moment of trial, he's able to strengthen you in it. And this is all through the Bible, by the way. Psalm 46.1, the God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Hey, that's good news, isn't it? That's good news, right? <laughs> yeah, and ever-present help in time of trouble. I love this next one, Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. Those are all words of King David who understood what it was like to fight battle, literal battles. And he said, listen, you're fighting a real battle too. 
You're fighting a battle in your home. You're fighting a battle. Some of you are fighting battle with your children. Some of you are fighting a battle at work. Some of you are fighting in battles in your own mind. And you, you have things go through your mind. And you go, why, why did I think that? I mean, that's terrible. Why, I wouldn't think of that. Where did that come from? And why do I even have that thought? And I don't even want to. Where's that coming from? There's this unseen world. You're under attack. Sometimes it's physical, you know. Sometimes it's, it's physical attack. Sometimes it's mental. Sometimes it's, but it's always spiritual. It comes from our spiritual enemy. And here he said, you've got this strength of the Lord available to you. Now you may say, well, Craig, I don't feel very strong. I mean, honestly, when a lot of these things happen, I don't feel very strong at all. I feel weak. I feel vulnerable. I can't help but feel overly anxious. I can't help but fall into depression. I can't help but, but explode in anger. I can't help but say, what you're saying is I don't have the power in myself to change that. And you're right. But you have the strength of the Lord. But you say, but Craig, I don't, I, I don't feel the strength of the Lord. Well, there's a secret here that is often overlooked. You have to receive it. You got to lay hold of this strength. God provides it, but you have to take hold of it. Picture a, uh, picture a little kid, all right, and he's trying to open the uh, peanut butter jar, all right? So here he is, man. He's probably about three years old, man. He's just struggling, trying to get this peanut butter jar open. And you walk by and you say, hey, you want me to help you with that? No, I got it. I do it. I do it. So he wrestles and struggles with it. I do it. I say, I can help you. No, no, no. I do it. Finally, he relents and gives you the peanut butter jar and you just pop it right open, right? Because your strength is so much greater than his. But there are a lot of Christians that deal with their problems that way. I do it, God. I'll figure this thing out. I'll work my way through it. I will handle it on my own. And they don't follow their knees in prayer and they don't cry on God and they cry out for God's strength. They try to handle it on their own and they fall every time. That's, you say, well, Craig, is that in the Bible? Actually, it's in this verse. Because in verse 10, while some verses say, be strong in the Lord, the better translation is be strengthened by the Lord. It's in the pass, passive tense. It is something that happens to you. He says, uh, tap into, allow yourself to be strengthened by God. Hey, when that trouble comes, when that crisis comes, when that, those thoughts uh, come, they allow God to strengthen you in that. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, how did Jesus find strength? Well, Jesus did a couple of things. He, he prayed, did he not? How many times you say Jesus retreating to pray, retreating to pray, retreating to pray? Because he knew that in prayer he gained his strength. He refreshed his strength. He, Jesus knew the word. When he was tempted, he quoted the scripture. Boom, 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 boom. Through the word, he, he gained strength. He, he knew that he needed other people in his life. When he was in Gethsemane, he got, called three to come around him. Why? Because he knew in that battlefield, he needed people praying for him. Listen, you need those same things. When you are in God's word, when you are on your knees, and when you are surrounded by other believers that are praying for you and with you, you are, you're going to renew your strength that you are able to stand against the thing that you are facing right now. Unfortunately, for many Christians, those are the three things that they jettison the minute trouble comes. The minute hardship comes, they stop going to church, they stop reading their Bible, and they stop praying. And you know what? That is Satan's scheme. He's like, man, if I can get them away from the artillery, if I can get them away from their strength, from their resources, then I've got them right where I want them. Listen, there's a world behind the world that you see. 
It's very, very real. There's a source behind the struggle that you're facing right now. It's very real. And, and we're called to stand our ground. And we're not called to stand in our own strength, but we're called to lay hold of, to put ourselves in a position for God to strengthen us and to help us. I love Isaiah 41.10. It says this, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Listen, that's God's promise to every one of us. The struggle you're facing, God will help you. He will fight for you. He will be with you. He will strengthen you for that day and for that moment. So how do we deal with this unseen world? Let me give you just very quickly, I'm talking about just kind of bullet, really short little bullet point thoughts of some practical things to apply this this week. The first thing is this, what you need to do is be alert. Be alert, be aware. Be alert that uh, many times, and you're gonna, we're gonna get into this later on in the series, that there, the warning is to be alert, to be watchful, to be aware of the spiritual activity around you. And maybe you've been saying, well, it's my husband that's a problem, or it's, it's my boss that's a problem, or it's that person that's my problem. Maybe for a moment you could put on your spiritual glasses and say, maybe it's not them at all. Maybe we're dealing with a spiritual conflict. Just be aware that there's a spiritual battle and you're wrestling with that. Second thing is, is to focus, to focus on Jesus, to be focused. Focus your eyes on Christ. Focus your eyes on the mission. Don't allow these things to distract you from the one thing that Jesus told you to do, which was to make disciples and make disciples to the ends of the earth and to glorify God with your life, the one life that God gives you. So keep your focus on Christ and don't push these other things away, especially when the battle rages. And the last thing is this, just be courageous. Be courageous. Listen, as followers of Jesus, you don't fight for victory, you fight in victory. You're a child of God. The Spirit of God lives within you. Paul would not say, stand your ground if you could never stand your ground. He told you to do that because it's possible in the power that God gives you. And you can do that when you're trusting the Lord. One of my favorite verses is 1 John 4, 4. I love this. It says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Isn't that good news? You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be worried. Stand your ground, be courageous, fix your eyes on Christ and be alert and be prayerful, always. There's a spiritual battle and that's what you're struggling with. There's a world behind the world that you see. And Jesus has provided the answer for us. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. And I want you just to take a moment to ask yourself, Or maybe ask the Lord better. Lord, what, what spiritual battles am I facing? It could be that you have just really overlooked this idea that this conflict that you're having 
with this person, these emotions that you're feeling, these thoughts that come into your mind are really just evil influences. They're not originating from you. They are part of the devil's schemes to divide, to separate, to create hostility and hurt. Maybe this trial, behind this trial is the devil trying to demoralize you or steal away your faith and confidence in God. Maybe the struggle that you're in is a spiritual struggle, not a physical struggle. Would you just ask God to give you spiritual eyes to see what's around you? To be aware, to be alert, and then ask him to give you the courage to stand your ground this week, not to give in, not to play into the devil's schemes, but to stand your ground with your eyes on Jesus and your heart set on his mission. Ask him to do that right now. Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. It's so clear, it's so relevant to our lives. And Lord, we hear very clearly today what you're teaching us about this unseen world. Lord, we just confess that so many times we go about our day unaware of what really is the source of our struggles. And Lord, I pray that we would live as children of King Jesus, that um, redeemed, filled with the Spirit of God, that we would not waver, we would not give in to these temptations or trials when they assail us, that we would not doubt your goodness or walk away from your mission, but that we would stand in your strength to resist and to stand in prayer for our families and stand in prayer for our church and to stand in prayer for our nation. Oh God, that you would bring sweeping revival and awakening and you'd start with us. Lord, I pray that we would every day rely on your strength and your word and with other believers and in prayer and that we would put on this armor of God and move out into our week trusting you, fight, uh, fighting and facing the battle ahead with great faith. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your promise today that you will be with us and you will help us and you will strengthen us and you will be our shield. Thank you, God. Our eyes are on you, and we pray this in Jesus' name.